Welcome to Blame Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor at CTK in Bellingham. I actually went to Blaine High School. My family uh, moved here in 93, and then we spent about a decade here uh, as mighty borderites, and then uh, we, we moved. Uh, so, good morning. It is a real pleasure to be here. So I'm here. Man, how did this happen? So Tyler is taking the weekend off, and then the guest preacher, did, I don't know if you guys heard this or not, he broke his other Achilles this week. So he broke one two weeks ago, or two years ago, decided to break his other one. And then, so you guys have the C team with you this morning with Jaron and I. <laughs> Lucky you guys. Uh, so we're going to take a little break from 1 Corinthians this morning. And, and uh, before we get going, I'd like to just talk about the people that I get to live with uh, first. So I brought a picture of my family that is a very beautiful bunch. Well, four out of five are anyway. And uh, so my wife and I have been married for almost 14 years. We met at Christ the King. And let's see, we have four birthdays in four weeks in my house. So I don't know how old people are anymore. It'll take a little while for me to catch up. But uh, that's them. So my wife, Nicole, and Hannah, Tess, and Finn. My son, Finn, is going through this really awkward smiling phase, which drives my wife crazy which makes me like it all the more. <laughs> but my son, Finn, uh, has been watching this, honestly, this really annoying YouTube channel that drives my wife and I crazy. And in this YouTube channel, there's this little boy named Ryan, so I'm starting to hate my own namesake. There's this little boy named Ryan, and they market to my son so incredibly well. It's, it's incredible. Like, I'm not mad. I'm just impressed. And my son is letting us know that we can buy all of these products at Target and Walmart.com. And it just rolls off of his mouth. He's never been to either of these stores, but he knows Target and Walmart.com. Dad, that's where you can get all the stuff. So, so my wife and I, well, my wife, decides to buy some of this Ryan's World stuff for Christmas. And this was, this was a God moment for me. I can remember it so vividly that my son is sitting there, and he opens the package, and he sees the Ryan's World logo, and everything in him starts to lighten up and expand, and his face widens, and his eyes open, and he even starts to tear up a little bit. He is so excited. He tears it open, and he starts screaming, Ryan's World! And then, I'm not kidding you, it was seconds. Maybe not even seconds. I can, I can, this was really a God moment for me where I see him start to close off. I see his eyes start to narrow and his brow furrow. And then he just starts wondering what else he can get. Right? He was so elated, and then it, it just... And I wanted to say, it didn't work, did it, buddy? This thing that you thought was going to fix it, was going to satisfy, it really didn't. And he's six, and he wouldn't understand that. But I know that all too well, and I'm hoping you do as well. My son 
has this problem deep inside of his very being, and it's the same problem that we all have. Something is missing, and he has this longing, this deep longing. Him, in particular, in my family, has this deep longing for connection. And he knew for certain that these toys would fix it, and you know that it won't. You know that it won't. The missing piece in all of us, though, this is, this is so important for us to really grapple with and almost grieve. This piece in us that was missing was missing before the fall. It's wired into us. That in Genesis, before the fall, right, God created everything. He made Adam. He put Adam in charge. And then God said to himself, and then later on to Adam, it's not good that he's alone. It's not good that the man is alone. And if you've ever seen a man on his own for an extended period of time, you can say amen. This is not a good thing. This is not a good thing. But something was missing, and God remarked to him. He said, hey, 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 Adam, why don't you look here in creation? See if there's something here that, that helps, that helps with that. It's the, the, the order is so interesting. God didn't make Eve right away. He pointed to his pain, and he pressed into it. And so I don't know, this morning we're going to be talking about marriage quite a bit, and I don't know your, your marital status. Uh, it, it, it doesn't matter, because there is something in this text that we're going to be going through for all of us, because it's Jesus. Jesus and the church, and, and there's, like I said, there's ripe opportunity for us to, to have takeaways here. But God presses into that pain. And C.S. Lewis talked about that void in us. He said this, if we find in ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for a different world. That this thing, that nothing will satisfy, that means that there's something else, something else there. God seems, though, in Genesis to press into Adam's pain, reminding of it. And here is why. There's purpose in that. There's purpose in that void, in that empty space in our heart. There's purpose in our incompleteness. And so with full understanding of the, that something is missing, it is foolish for us to run out and try to fill our hearts and our souls with whatever we think will satisfy. And I'm front in line of, 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 as far as things that I've tried to do that don't, that don't please God, but try to satisfy that, uh, that longing in my heart. Dr. Les Parrott, uh, who's a professor uh, of marriage, he's a marriage researcher down in Seattle and creator of the world's most popular premarital curriculum, he says this, if you try to find intimacy with another person before achieving a sense of wholeness on your own, all of your relationships will become an attempt to complete yourself. I'm going to read that one more time just to bother you again. If you try to find intimacy with another person before achieving a sense of wholeness on your own, all of your relationships will become an attempt to complete yourself. And now, at this point, I'm assuming you're really glad that you came to church this weekend. Right? Really glad that Tyler is gone, that you have this guest C-team speaker coming up talking about this empty void that we have in our hearts. I know I'm not being helpful, but we do need to relate to that, and I know that I do. 
to my son searching for something for Ryan's world, for us filling it however we can. And I am so glad that Scripture speaks about this as much as it does. Today we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, which is a book written to two different people groups, instructing them how to live this new Christian life. This church in Ephesus had two distinct people groups that had no idea how to do life together. And it's in this book that the greatest section on marriage was ever written, that was ever written. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33 is the most complete, condensed, condensed section on marriage in the Bible, and it includes every major theology on the subject. Now, I want to warn you, as we get into it, that the text, when you first read it, can sound and feel sterile. And it can feel like a job description, almost. And I need you to know, it's because that's exactly what it is. This is a job description that Paul is going to lay out for husbands and for wives. And we're going to go through that together. So if you can get up on the screen. Paul starts with this, with his, the greatest discourse on marriage ever given, which was given by a single guy, by the way. He says this. He starts off, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is the whole context of marriage that we cannot forget. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, you should know elsewhere in Scripture, when that word uh, reverence is used, it's often translated as fear. Out of fear of Jesus, submit to one another. You should know also that whenever Paul talks about fear in Scripture, he follows it up with why. Why it is that we should be afraid. And it's always because well, we're going to answer for it. There's a reason to fear God, and, and the scriptures talk about a scene where we're going to stand before him someday, and we're going to give an answer, right? That there's this job description, and like any job or any, any syllabus, there's going to be a final at the end. And so we're going to stand before him, each one of us, and give an account. And that should terrify us. Right? There is a right response to that, that it goes, ooh, this is, this is really important. Submit to one another. Again, yield to one another out of fear of Jesus, out of reverence for Christ. So that is so important because Paul goes on, for wives, it means this. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church's body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in anything. So this is how the actual text reads. So Paul says, submit to one another, mutual submission. Wife, submit to the husband. Husband, submit to the wife. Mutual. And the way the original Greek reads is, for wives, it looks like this. So the word submit isn't even used in that sentence. He's referring to it. But for wives, mutual submission looks like, looks like this. Submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. So what is most important about this? Well, there's, there's several things. First, the church has a bad history with this verse. It does. It has even an abusive uh, history with this is wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
we're going to forget about the verse we just read, right? We're going to forget about mutual submission. We're just going to talk about you wives. I'm mocking the church at this point. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, it still means that, but that isn't exactly, that's not the whole story. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. That is right order that Paul is talking about. Submit to the Lord. Now, the best picture, the most graphic image that we have in the Bible as far as submission goes, is an MMA fight in Genesis, where there is actual submission. There's a tapping out. It's when Jacob wrestled with God in Genesis 31. So the scene is, is incredible. Jacob sends his entire party ahead, and then God stands right there, and it's just he and Jacob, and then they wrestle. It says they wrestled all night, and God said, let me go, and Jacob says, not until you bless me. Not until you bless me. I won't let you go. And the scriptures say God knew he wasn't going to win. So this is what he did. And in my, in my head, this is, this is how the scene played out. Uh, but I picture, like, I'm dating myself a little bit, but I'm picturing, like, E.T.'s finger glowing at the end. And God touched Jacob's hip, and the scriptures say that it wretched out of its socket. Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his life as a result of wrestling with God. But it was at that point that God blessed him. And he named him. And he named him Israel. Which means, which means wrestles with God. This is an invitation. Real submission, real submission, only happens through conflict. Where I am me, and I, have a, and I have a perspective, and I know he has a viewpoint and a perspective, and it's going to take conflict for us to get on the same page. This is going to play out in the marital relationship. We're going to get, we're going to, get to that in a moment. But true, authentic submission, not just blind, check my heart and my mind at the door, but submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. That there is to be a dynamic, engaging almost violent relationship that you are to have with God. When Paul says submit, that is permission to do conflict. This is permission to do conflict with the Lord. And here's the thing. Those of us in the room that engage with God at a violent level, here's what I can testify. I'm more me. Ryan is more Ryan as a result of doing real, authentic conflict with God. And that is true in my marriage as well. And we're gonna, again, we're going to get to how uh, and, and why of conflict in, in marriage as well. But that's our role as the church, is to engage, to wrestle with, to do conflict with God. Real conflict, real struggle, real heartfelt, like the psalmist's prayer, where they're like, hey, what the heck, man? What's going on? The Psalms are bloody. The Psalms are a model of prayer for us where we get to radically engage with God. And now, woman, as you engage at a violent level with God, so you get to authentically engage with your husband. This is what real, true submission looks like. 
Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. So Paul is assuming, right, that you are in right relationship with God and that you're doing work, and then you get to offer that same experience to your husband. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church, so again, church, we get to do radical conflict with God. We get to know him. We get to fight with him. We get to struggle with and for him. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. And you can, again, almost take out, submit, and put in authentic conflict. That you get to do authentic conflict with your, with your husband. So that's the wife's job description. That again, you're going to stand before him one day and answer as church and spouse if you're married. That you get to answer as church. Paul goes on uh, to give the husbands the job description. Husbands, he says this. This is our job description. Mutual submission for her looks like this. Husbands, mutual submission looks like this. Love your wife just as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Paul starts off his discourse on the husband's job description by giving us the central Christian message. This is the central Christian message. That Jesus gave himself up for us to make us holy, cleansing us by the washing with water through the word, and to present us to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Again, this is the central Christian message. So all faith systems in the world, all faith systems, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, you name it, all faith systems look at this world and say, this place is not right. This place is messed up. I don't think I have to convince anybody in this room that that's the case. This place is not right. And now, all faith systems, except for Christianity, say this, say this. Hey, Ryan, yes, this world is messed up, but so are you. Christianity says this as well. You're messed up as well, Ryan. You have a problem. And it's bad. Ryan, you have a bad problem. I'm just going to put Christianity right here in all of the faith systems. Right here. But then this is the world's, or, or the other faith system's, good news. They say, Ryan, you can fix it, though. You can try super hard. Ryan, I need you to stop immediately doing those bad things. And I need you to double down on those good things. Ryan, you can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But you have to try so hard. Christianity is the only faith system that says, actually, Ryan, that's not true either now, is it? Ryan, there is nothing you can do to fix it. There's nothing you can do. You're, you're unable. 
But there is one who can. And his name is Jesus. And the scriptures say that all I have to do is believe in him. That's all I have to do is believe that he is who he says he is. And that is my righteousness. It's at that point that there's an exchange. Martin Luther called it the great exchange, where I hand Jesus my resume, and he hands me his. And so I get to do something like this. I say, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for CTK Blaine and what it is that they have going here, what you have going here. Lord, would you increase a sensitivity to your spirit here in this community? Signed, your favorite son, Jesus Christ. Like, I get to pray in his name. That sounds like heresy, doesn't it? That he doesn't answer prayers based on Ryan. He answers prayers based on Jesus. So he hands me his resume. So again, we get to picture the end, right? Where I stand before him. And he's going to ask me to give an account. So when it's my time before him, he's going to fundamentally ask two questions. He's going to say, Ryan, first question. Are you here on your own behalf? Or do you have representation? Ryan, are you here based on your own resume and credentials? Or somebody else's? And I'm going to say, uh, nope, I have representation. And then I'm a little irreverent. I picture Jesus with like a ponytail like a really cheap public defender, just running in, papers flying everywhere. He says, nope, I, he, he's mine. He's mine. Sorry, here's, here's his resume. And then I picture the judge looking at it going, whoa, this is pretty good, Ryan. This is pretty good. You're in. It's Jesus' resume, his righteousness, his gifted credentials and righteousness to me. But then there's a second question that, again, should terrify us. Hey, Ryan, what'd you do with the stuff that I gave you? He's going to say, hey, Ryan, in your lifetime, 13 and a half million dollars went through your fingers. I like to round up. (laughs) 13 and a half million dollars went through your fingers. Hey, Ryan, what do you have to show for that? And that's where I I get to answer. Right? And then I picture my wife coming in with her spreadsheet. (laughs) Going, I can answer that. (laughs) Hey, Ryan, I gave you a gift in Nicole. Did you model following Jesus to her? Hey, Ryan, did you hand her back to me in greater condition than what you found her in? Hey, Ryan, I gave you three little monsters for kids. Did you name them? Did you discipline them in my name? Did you again model a life followed after me? Like, we're going to answer for this. Terrifying, right? That's why Paul starts with fear. Out of fear of Jesus, submit to one another. Like, this is a good, this is a team effort here. This is a good thing to do together. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Paul goes on. In the same way, 
Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for his body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Now that's kind of weird. What in the world does Paul mean? It's actually quite simple. What Paul is doing here is referencing the great commandment, which is, so one of my favorite scenes in Scripture, this is the Ryan Irvin version of Scripture, where an attorney goes up to Jesus with his Bible, and he says, hey, hey, teacher, man, this is a big book. This is a big book. Could you summarize this for me? Like, what's the tweet? That's pretty good. And Jesus said, no problem. I can totally do that for you. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. But the second is so much like it that I have to include it. You love your neighbor as yourself. Right? That there's this, mis- that there's this mysterious tie between loving God and loving others. They are tied. Jesus and the entire uh, all, all the scriptures speak to that. That's what Paul is talking about. In the same way, husband, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Nowhere in scripture does it, it, does it encourage us to love someone more than ourselves. It is a biblical impossibility. I cannot love somebody more than myself. If I do, if I esteem them more than myself, the Bible says you've crossed the line and it's gone to worship. You now worship them, right? That is meant for God alone. We are created for worship, but we are created to worship God, not each other. So if that's in order, if I'm loving him with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, and all of my strength, now I get to love my neighbor as myself. And the first person that's my neighbor, the first person that's not me is my spouse. This is incredible. This is, this, is, this is beautiful. The greatest fulfillment of the great commandment is marriage. A marriage well lived out. So Paul is saying this. Love their wives as they love their own bodies. So he's saying, uh, if, if this is going well, man, you are loving her so well. That means that you love yourself well. So again, Scripture calls this idolatry when we're worshiping somebody else, if we're worshiping anything else other than God, that's what he's speaking to. So I, I worship God, and I, I, and I love him with all of that I have, and if that's out of order, uh, psychologically, it's called codependence and enmeshment. Like, everyone agrees, this is bad. This is bad. Right? That when I esteem this other person more than myself, that's worship. But I get to love them as I love uh, myself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does uh, the church. Paul goes on and he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, this is beautiful. He's talking about sex here, but not just sex. This is, this is awesome. But he's also referencing right biblical order in Genesis, that there's this creation where this, you will leave your father and mother's home, that I make covenant. I make covenant with God. 
And I make covenant with my wife. I don't make covenant with my kids. They are designed to leave. So this is right biblical order here. I love God most. I love me. Then I get to love my wife. Right? It's in that order. The kids, they'll try to sneak up in there, but I'm telling you, they don't belong there. They don't belong there. All of this creates an environment for healthy rearing of children, for healthy raising of children, that, that we get to grow up in security of a mom and dad who, who model this for us. It is safe. It is secure. This is fertile ground for children. In the same way, uh, uh, I'm sorry, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, again, Paul is speaking to the, the Genesis order here that there's this leaving and cleaving. There is no expiration date to honoring your father and mother. There, that, that, that's always in play. But when I leave my mother and father, now I have a new priority. And it is my spouse. And it is my home. Uh, can I say, too, that when we know this through research, that nobody has greater satisfaction or frequency of sex than couples who live this out, who live out uh, this biblical model that, that Paul's talking about. And this is motivation, maybe, that if a husband and wife pray together regularly, these people uh, record in the 95th percentile as far as sexual satisfaction. So every time I want to pray with my wife, she gets suspicious. <laughs> no, I just want to pray. It's really? Oh, are kids in bed? Shoot. Well, well, let's just pray anyway. We're going to move on. She's not here. This is great. Tyler's not either. <laughs> For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Sex is exclusively reserved for marriage. That is the only place where the Bible says, no, off limits everywhere else, only in marriage. But I tell you what, if you live that out, this is, this is something. The world has never seen more satisfying sex than, than couples who live this out. Then Paul says this, which is great relief for me. He says, this is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ in the church. When Paul says profound mystery, picture this. We're going to see God for who he is one day. We're going to see him. We're going to see the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Infinite creator, finite creation. Always. We're going to see him, and it's not going to be like we see God and we go, Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Totally get it. Never. That is never going to happen. He is a profound mystery. Marriage goes in that same bucket. Profound mystery. But he says this, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. It is a profound mystery how marriage is an allegory of Christ's love for us. Again, of the mutual submission. There are examples, multiple, many examples of Jesus submitting to the church in the Gospels. You can read the Gospels and look at Jesus and, and hear the words of Jesus 
talking to his bride. This is a profound mystery. There are multiple examples of, of, again, Jesus submitting to the church where a person would come up to him and Jesus would say, what can I do for you? What is it you would like me to do for you? This is him modeling submission. Jesus' best friend was killed, right? John the Baptist. Jesus was sad and tired and he wanted to go away, but the needs of the crowd just grew. And he said, okay, yeah, let's, let's, let's continue this revival. Let's continue this going. That is him, again, submitting to the church. Husbands, Jesus is our model. He is our role model for marriage, that to be more like him would be a step towards biblical manhood. Wives, same thing. Jesus is the founding member of the church. He modeled this for you as well, that to be more like Jesus is to be more like the bride or the bride of Christ. <clears throat> I love this uh, discourse on marriage. Uh, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33 is a bit of a rabbit hole that I can't get my mind out of. Again, I'm reading the Gospels with this husband and wife uh, mentality, and it is, it is beautiful. It is something. But I want to—my I wanna, concern this morning, that there's real danger for you to hear this message— and walk away with just another idealistic view of marriage and maybe even shame as to why you haven't lived up to that call. And I want to help you by describing how I'm not living up to this call, to this invitation. Let me describe my current submission to God and to my wife and how that's playing out. 2019 was a pretty rotten year for me and my wife and my family. It was pretty rotten. People that were close to us are divorced. Disease has creeped its way into my family. Close friends have moved away. Bit of a financial hit. We had to replace both cars and there was just boom, boom, boom medical things. And my daughter had a heart condition and she needed a heart operation. And I found myself in 2019 regularly triggered and unavailable. I was rotten to coworkers. I was rotten to my wife and to my kids in these really weird and strange uh, moments, really unpredictable. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a situation where you're challenged in all, I mean all of your relationships. This one's not going well. This one's not going well. This one's not going well. I'm like, well, there's one common denominator, Ryan. <laughs> and it's me. It's awful. Uh, last year, I was surprised and shocked by the sinful thoughts, attitudes, and words that were coming out of my mouth. I mean, like, as they're coming out of my mouth, I'm like, you are a fool. Have you... I'm probably the only one who's ever done this, sure. But like, as they're coming out of my mouth, I'm like, what are you doing? But I, I just, here it, here it came. Paul said this. This is how I've tried to apply the great commandment and his invitation into my life. Paul said this. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, 
No one ever hated their own body, but he feeds and cares for their body, just as Christ does the church. Jesus takes care of the church. Ryan, this is the model. You're supposed to take care of yourself. No one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it. Well, if I'm not loving my wife well, it means I'm not loving me well. It's just going, I'm just going upstream here. So my daughter's heart condition, she, she was 10, and it took me back. When I was 10 years old, I was going through cancer treatments. I, I, I went away for a while. And when I closed my eyes, I picture my daughter uh, bald from chemotherapy and swollen from prednisone. And that wasn't her story. But it was just so incredibly triggering. And I needed help. Everybody around me knew that I needed help and were telling me that as well. But I needed, I needed help. Uh, so enrolled into therapy and started taking care of myself and feeding my own body differently, just like Christ does the church. And now, the point isn't to go to counseling, though that might be a good next step. The point is repentance. The point is adjustment. Repentance simply means to turn. Right? That's it. So as I'm getting all of this feedback, and again, the, the Spirit of God is convicting me of, of sin during this time as well. It's, and if you've ever experienced that, it is awful. There is no worse feeling that I know than the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Life wasn't working for me in my relationships with others, so I had to turn and adjust. But again, this isn't about me. This is about God's gracious offer for all of us to live out Jesus and to repent and to live out this text. Uh, this is how mutual submission has looked in my life. I was stuck and not well, so I had to rework the great commandment into my life to better mutually submit to my wife, to better mutually submit to her. And I'm better, and not just because I'm saying I'm better, but because my wife and those around me report a different experience with me, right? Like, I need their feedback because I'm kind of broken here. My filter's a little broken. But I'm going to invite Jaron back up onto the stage here to, to help us close. He is so kind, and he is so patient with us, and he invites us to make adjustment and, and, and to repent. It's messy, but it is better. And let me leave you with this. Just imagine with me. Just imagine with, with me. If you and just you loved God, with all of your heart, all of it, all of your mind, all of it, all of your strength, and all of your soul. And from that point, you loved yourself. Maybe even the way that God loves you. And then, if you're in a significant relationship, just imagine what it feels like from that position to be loved from somebody who's that steady. What an incredible gift that we all have regardless of your marital status. It's from that point that we get to love others very well. Would you please pray with me?